Hello everyone, welcome back to the left page. I am Frank, your always online historian, academic and writer. I am joined as always by my great friend and social scientist, Leon. Hello, Leon. Hello, Frank. How are you doing? I am fine. I am looking forward to recording it as always. And uh, yeah, how are you? I'm good. I am almost, almost down with the first chapter of my thesis. It's huge. <laughs> or first part, I suppose, to, to be more widespread in generalization. But it's, um, yeah, sent it to my supervisor for revision and notes after doing a fairly quick revision myself. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a lot of it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. A lot of writing. Lot yeah, it's of... almost like a thesis or something. <laughs> it's like hard. half a thesis, <laughs> and it's a lot. <laughs> I hope it feels rewarding. So. No, it, it's awesome. It, it's really okay, cool. That's good. But yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say it now, but uh, maybe when it, when it's finally done eventually. But uh, you know, you remember the the the, the law, the large page count uh, of that first part of the thesis. So you yes. know, a lot, <laughs> little secret for everyone out, out there. But anyway, uh, yeah, so for this month, for, for our first left page episode of 2023, woo, uh, we're picking something, well, it's fairly different, fairly distinct in, in a lot of different ways. It is the, these definitions are always a pain in the ass, but it's the novella uh, <laughs> by P. Jelly Clark. Uh, I hope that's how he pronounces his name correctly. Well, it's, it's so... Like. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed some leeway. Yeah. Haunting of Tram Car 15, which is part of the Master of Gin series, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. Because there, there's this novella, there's a shorter story, and there's a proper short story, and they're all before the actual novel, which is called A Master of Gin, which is apparently a series. Yes. I've not read that one, but I've managed... well. Leon and I agreed to read The Haunting of Tram Car 15, and I managed to read the, the other two short stories because I was invested. <laughs> and I don't regret it, and I have some interesting stuff to talk about that as well. But yeah. effectively, what, what this novel, nove, novella, world building is about, it's an alternate world, alternate history, Cairo, back in the 1910s, thereabouts. It's not that, that specific for this story in particular but i think it's around there and it is a very different i say cairo because that's where the story is placed the actual egyptian city of cairo yes (laughs) contemporary cairo of 1910 or 1910s but it's we say cairo but effectively the given what we're told this has wider consequences around the globe which I want to talk about this at a later point in this episode. But the history goes that this scholar, researcher, mystic, whatever, uh, Al-Jahiz, he um, kind of (laughs) took out the book. He had made the walls to the supernatural realms porous across the globe, and the effects were still being felt. So, you know... Kind of the, the whole thing about tearing up the veil and opening up our reality to other realities. And a lot of these realities involve not just, you know, 
magic may happen, but also other magical beings. So jinn have become very common. Not just jinn, but other creatures both in Cairo and throughout the globe, really. Uh, We get some notions and some mentions of a few other European countries, but uh, it is deeply implied and understood. The usual suspects. (laughs) (laughs) That this happens across the globe. That a lot of different creatures and beasts and beings and possibilities and magics are now able and possible. And there are some really interesting things. I won't go into it here because it's not showed up, but it's very briefly referenced. Um, But there are beings which are angels, self-proclaimed angels. Are they angels? Are they not? Are they something else? Who knows? They're powerful. They're big. They're terrifying. Briefly mentioned, they show up in a dead gin in Cairo, which is the the other short story, and uh, I recommend as well. But effectively, this is a world that has been affected and changed by magic and by magical creatures, and magical creatures which have been sort of fused with and within society and societies. So, and that has, you know, that changes across cultural and national lines and religions and beliefs and how other people feel about it. That that shows up a bit, although I'd imagine that would be more well explored in the novel. But to kind of sum up the thing, because it, it's a, yes, there's a story, but I feel like this alongside the short stories, it's a lot more about the world building itself and successfully so than the narratives themselves, which are also quite successful. In my personal opinion, Leon can disagree. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll let him speak in a sec. But to summarize all I've been talking about, alternate history, 1910s, especially Cairo and Egypt, were in accordance to, you know, effectively, because of these magical beings and these possibilities and powers, independence and independence from colonial rule was a lot easier. <laughs> a lot more distinct. And so Egypt has become quite a um, geopolitical power, as Leon would put it. (laughs) And he's correct. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And as such, one of the things, and and it's important, the whole magic thing, because the characters that we follow in this story are two agents for the supernatural, the Ministry of Supernatural Beings and Creatures. Yes. Of all the, when we do these things, uh, I need to write down, and I tend, I'm getting better at this. Write down, you know, the main characters, the main institutions, and things, their positions. I forgot to write the name of the ministry. It doesn't but help it's something that they, along those lines. throughout the story, refer to it as just the ministry. Of course, as so, you know, <laughs> it's not like the, the name of the institution was constantly hammered uh, into our head over and over and over in the book. It is just the ministry. Yeah. Which is interesting, but <laughs> never mind. We'll get to that later. Yeah, makes it a little more difficult to remember it right now. Yes. Unfortunately. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because we, uh, I think, if you're, if you're remotely familiar with fiction, then you, you understand the type of institution that this is. It's not something unique, like, which is fine. It's not a criticism. It is mm-hmm. just like uh, if you have. <laughs> If you have uh, ghosts in the world, so to speak, it's not it's not just ghosts, but it is that er- that that spectrum <laughs> spectrum. No, um, hey. the spectrum of uh, you're welcome. There are specters <laughs> haunting not just Europe. No, more about that later. <laughs> but uh, okay, being serious here for a second, it's um, 
there's always an institution dealing with that, you know? It is, there's yes. always a science, a department, or whatever, that's going to be focusing on how to deal with this, well, this supernaturalism that is, has now entered the world, as you said very uh, correctly, I believe. The, uh, yeah. There was just this, I suppose, if, to, to, make it understand, uh, to make it understandable for some people, if you have listened to the Witcher episode, it's kind of like the conjunction <laughs> of spheres. It really and, is. But it is... But the humans are not placed into a different world. Things are placed into the human world. This the Earth, Terra, this very, this very world. <laughs> and once again, we cannot stress this enough that, uh, you know, so Cairo is still a thing and it is just, it looks different because they're ghosts now. Spirits, stuff, supernatural stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Just real quick, I was going to ask you, like, how would you classify it? Because unlike the Witcher universe, there are no, question mark, uh, there are no uh, <laughs> vampires or werewolves or what have you. It is. It seems to be more in the ethereal, spiritual realm of infiltrants, of um, people, mm. the, the beings that have entered the world. That like there are no, you know, there are no golems. There are no what have you. Like there seem mm. to be just spirits, right? Angel spirits, like in that corner of uh, supernatural slash mystical beings. Or did mm. I read that wrong? I think like we, I think we see more of those and that kind of thing, but it wouldn't necessarily be just that. I think that's there's the possibility for other beings and other creatures to appear and to inhabit the world now. There are necessarily that spiritual or immaterial, to put it like that. Okay. Um, but I don't think that line is as obviously drawn. Yeah, I feel like there could have been more odd physical beings but that that's then the consequence of spirits inhabiting a physical object yeah and i feel that that's how that happens but more about that in a bit because <laughs> that i do think that's a very interesting part of the book yeah but um yeah no uh, i i don't know if you have anything more to introduce or uh... yeah well, oh oh right i suppose about the trams itself or the trams <laughs> themselves yeah fair enough because of the the presence of jen and these magics the uh, the general environment is quite distinct and more technical technologically developed in conjunction with magical beings, magical abilities and, and powers, so to speak. And so uh, a lot of the there's been a quite a big development of technology influenced by Jin's powers. Yes. And or genie powers. That might be the plural, because I'm not entirely sure. Uh, regardless. The trams and other things, the the cover to the novella is quite um, representative, I think, of like, this looks more akin to a, like, sci-fi different world, or, I don't know, it, the term and that history is problematic, but the visual references, or even some of the images and, uh, shall we say, vehicles reference are like something akin to that, which is that of the steampunk. That kind of thing of like, oh, it's not highly technologically developed, but it is quite sophisticated and robust, yeah. and it is somewhat analogous to that. It is an intersection of uh, steampunk meets decopunk, I would say, aesthetic-wise. Once again, yeah. I really dislike... Uh, okay, I don't know if I really dislike them, but I'm careful around, those, around the type of terminology because <laughs> punk, like noun... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> inverted commas noun uh, dash punk it has been 
punk is then utilized as a substitute for aestheticism. And yeah. that's not what punk is, actually. So oh, no. uh, that's that whole <laughs> thing. We can talk about how punk's uh, roots and like, you know, well, never mind. Uh, maybe another episode. But uh, that oh, is something yeah. that really bothers me, both in media and in literature. How, like, we've... Because steampunk is now associated with technology more than its punk roots, so to speak. Yeah. If it ever had punk roots, I'm not that familiar with steampunk, to be honest. Um, I don't know when it's, what, what its inception is and what it's, like... Um, its most foundational or important works would be, but yeah. that's not, you know, but once again, different episode, another time. And <laughs> but that's what I just want to really quickly want to point out. When I say techno punk, I don't think it's actually punk or something. But sadly, <laughs> that is the terminology that I've seen floating around. Um, I'm reminded a little bit of, and I, I'm sorry to just name other examples of <laughs> of stuff instead of just uh, digging into the uh, meat and bones of it, so to speak. But um, I'm kind of reminded of the way I visualized it. It's very akin to the aestheticism presented in, or the uh, just the aesthetics of Arcane, the Netflix series, mm, the right, League of Legends. Right. That's how I uh, saw it most of the time. But that I might be sense. wrong. Which again, it has a more like once again uh, Art Deco. That's where the Deco comes from. <laughs> this yeah. this um, this uh, uh, architectural. Well, this architecture type, like the Chrysler building in New York City, that's that's Art Deco. Yeah. And uh, well, I, I like it <laughs> because I like <laughs> villain type buildings. I like a building where a villain could live, even though I don't <laughs> necessarily like it's, you know, uh, the cost of building. And like, once again, I'm not <laughs> in favor of that. But in a fictional setting, I love it. And yeah. um, it's what I said to love. But other than that, it's, um, yeah. So anyway, sorry. It's difficult to talk about all these uh, aestheticism because they have such real-world consequences and it's like yeah. don't want to be blatant or flippant about anything <laughs> so that's sorry for everyone like oh my god what is he talking about but i uh, i do try to navigate uh, quite carefully through these things i'm sorry yeah. if it's tiresome or whatever but uh <laughs> I, I i like taking care uh, in uh, uh, how do we how we how we you know how we talk about certain things i think that's important. Yeah, exactly i think a lot of podcasts do not do that <laughs> um <laughs> Not anyone we know personally, but still, that's uh, yeah. having listened to quite a bit. No, no, moving on. Sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. I, yeah, I just uh, I mentioned steampunk because I think it's got the most similar, uh, easily re- recognizable or identifiable identity as a thing. Uh, not in essence, but more in in effect, in practice. Really, it's like oh, these kinds of airships and trams and like these interconnectedness, which aren't that highly developed as we would understand something like a plane right now or something along those lines but that you know kind of aligns with what steampunk is perceived to be not yeah. necessarily what it is because that that's a whole other thing about ge- definitions of genres and literary genres that's like oh what is it and not it's like no that's usually a category given it's like oh it is perceived as such and now it is and not a priori anyway that's also a pretty lengthy discussion yes but the point is this is kind of what it looks like that this world this how it feels or is engaged that there is uh, a high level of technological development but underlines that are closer more more recognizable within a steampunk kind of development with like of course it's not steam it's magic and genie power um in, in that sense the the trams themselves are constructs created by the djinn uh, with the, the, the technology and they're quite efficient and interesting 
And yeah, this is the world we are privy to. This is the the Cairo that we see. Again, there's something to be considered about, like, since we are quite extensively told that this is not exclusive to Egypt or to Cairo, and we see a little bit of how that extends further, one would wonder what are the effects outside of it. Something very quickly I wanted to mention uh, when you talked about the ministry, Leon, is how... And that has ha- that has real, or at least has had real-world counterparts in certain points of history, but the need of the state to incorporate this this unknown or this uncontrollable or this magical or this supernatural uh, within itself and within its own structure to the point where it's like, as you said, it's not unique, it's identifiable. And I think that has, um, that has reasons for it to be like that and reasons why it would or could be like that. That's like, yeah the state would find cause to incorporate that into it and would want to do so. Definitely. It's odd then that, I guess, in theory, the way you described it, it it is a bad thing. But then at the same time, one could also approach it as, okay, well, there are ghosts or jinns or whatever. Sorry. We're going (laughs) to probably go a little bit. Well, I am going to go back and forth on uh, the naming of these things. But the supernatural (laughs) beings that have entered the world now should also at the same time deserve a place in society if they so want to. Oh, yeah, of course. And that's how it's like, there's the social element to it and there's the political realist approach to it. And you sure. touched upon this political realist approach, like how do I, a system that doesn't allow anarchy to exist by its very own nature <laughs> because it is threatened by it, uh, which is yeah. how a lot of classical political scientists approach. Uh, not not so much nowadays. Um, okay. Hmm. Different discussion for another time as well. Uh, for a small book, it has so many different uh, angles you can approach it from. But oh, yeah. or, I suppose the genre onto itself warrants that, that discussion. That's, yeah. like, there's stuff in the book itself that it puts forth that is really interesting and worthy to talk about. But mm-hmm. the genre onto itself already invites this type of uh, scope, like you know stuff like that, mm-hmm. to, um, to, uh, to approach it from. And yeah, I found that really, really interesting. Like, there are a couple, once again, I'm trying to not draw a comparison to yet another uh, story <laughs> or universe, what have you. But it is indeed, I agree that unless we are dealing from a utopic or near utopic situation, it is uh, then always the state's uh, call to action to incorporate it or at least know it to some degree or slash control it to some degree. And yeah. I do think you touched upon that, that you know, very, very uh, correctly. And <laughs> so there's this, um, no, let's just say, let's just say that it's, there can be no, there's no altered universe in this universe, where, yeah. in, in this storyline of the, uh, of the djinn, where the djinn would have just been let be. There's just, and one could argue, <laughs> and I'm not going to argue this, but this is something I do find very interesting in this type of fiction or just fiction in general, uh, namely speculative fiction slash sci-fi and so forth, there's no, once again, there's no universe in which human beings will let the the glaring unknown be, and one can argue, <laughs> I'm not doing it, but one can argue that that is not in human nature. We we have to poke the thing with the stick, so to speak. We cannot just let it be. There's, a, a, you know, if there's a giant space gate that opens somewhere, you know? there's no universe in which humans 
are not going to go through it. That you know. So I once again, I am very careful and very hesitant about making claims about human nature. I'm not interested in doing that, quite frankly. Oh yeah. Because once again, it's uh, oh, you're immersing yourself in quite the how do we say this politely? Uh, moralistic swamp. Um, <laughs> this 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 this. Uh, nothing against swamps, but um, it is difficult to navigate through without getting bad or insensitive towards certain things. Um, yeah. yeah. But uh, sorry, going on to a bit too long about this. I'm sorry, but I do. No, find I think that's important. Yeah, right. But it's it's it is difficult to. I don't envy a writer the writer's. How do I say this? Challenge to deal with the unknown, as in, how do we how do we approach that? And I'm not saying it's necessarily utopic to let the unknown be, because I do, mm-hmm. as a naturally curious person myself, I do. I would, I'd, especially if I get the chance to talk to the supernatural. There's very <laughs> there's very little that's going to be that's that's able to keep me from it, because um, uh, once again, who wouldn't, right? Unless you're like really boring, <laughs> I suppose. But uh, not to not to attach a value judgment to it. But um, yeah, long story short, there is no. I do I do agree with this assessment that there is no alternate universe in which human humanity can be recognizably human, and let the jinn be or the once again, no matter what it is, the jinn, the space case, the whatever example you want to put in there, there's no you know, there's no <laughs> without it not being humanity, there's no way to not interact with it. That's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, and and I think it's interesting in those in those terms, really, of like, because it it is an unknown, but is a known unknown, <laughs> if that sentence makes any sense? Because yeah, these are other creatures, but they seem to correspond or match, maybe not yes. all, but a lot of them to certain beliefs or ideas or you know, jinn and jinn in in stories and tales, and it's like, oh, these are the jinn, and they they're quite powerful and immortal or very long-lived and they have powers and they they grant dubious wishes which can backfire quite a bit uh, and are untrustworthy and and so on yes i do find um like it is mostly i don't know if it's just arabic mythology i believe it's wider spread than just the arabia a part of that that, uh, that part of the world Yes. But uh, Jin, I believe, is like you know, or, or originates in that region. Um, yeah. Um, like you know, the Lebanon region as well had like uh, mm-hmm. stories similar to it. I believe uh, once again, Egypt first and foremost, if not, because uh, you know, mm-hmm. old civilization and so forth and so on, and um, not first and foremost in importance or anything, but you know, <laughs> given that you know it was the first metropole, so to speak, and so forth. Yeah. It is then interesting that I don't know. Maybe I I I misread this or read over it, and maybe you can help me out here. But it's interesting then that, like you said, are these uh, are these creatures that or these beings, these entities that have then entered the world, are have they been given these names because of their mythological, because their resemblance with mythological, the mythological parts, so to speak, like their resemblance to these mythological creatures. Or these mythological stories of these creatures, of these made-up creatures, and are they just then therefore called jinn or ifrit or what have you? And um, are they, or are they actually those things? Because once again, sorry to talk about the Witcher <laughs> again, 
Like, we are not in any... We're not less in any doubt if a werewolf is a werewolf. You know? <laughs> and this yeah. does uh, back in that question, I think. Like, is it no, you're a right. djinn? Or is it something else than a djinn? Or, and, like, how do we navigate that? That is... Uh, <laughs> that is difficult, because, once again, it is very easy to... And this is not a criticism at all. It, I think it's a good thing, if anything. Yeah. But it is very easy to... Um, how do you say this? To draw upon mythology so you don't have to do exposition, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, you know, it, you can, like, effectively, and and once again, this, this is going to make it sound like I'm like I'm calling anyone lazy. Absolutely not the case. I, but <laughs> it is very smart to sometimes just put mythological creatures in your book because then people have a... Uh, already have a gross idea, um, not a gross idea, sorry, um, have like a general idea of what this thing is, what this thing can do, and you don't have to spend a lot of time explaining it. And yeah, that's, uh, that, but yeah, this is, inter- this is interesting because we don't exactly know what these creatures are unless you feel differently. I don't know if that's... No, I think I think you're all right, but I think they're, uh, I'm going to cheat. I think they're both. I think on yeah. the one hand, Yes, they're being identified as jinn or as the other creature that we we find. Because uh, given this story, we don't see many. We see the jinn and we see another one. And yeah, but we they, hear about being... a bunch, right? Yeah, I think a, a few more. But the ones that we're we're actually like see and the ones that we investigate a little bit more are these two. But uh, how how do I put it? In, in the one sense, yes, they they are being read and identified as that. But also it seems as like what has been called Jin or Horus has been called X or Y is also derived from what these creatures are. So yes, they're Jin and they're not Jin, but they're still Jin. <laughs> they're enough Jin to be Jin. Yeah, that, that's what's gonna be it's gonna be my answer as well, I think. That's... Now, the, the the caveat is I had mentioned it. Again, the they don't show up in the story, they're just mentioned like twice or thrice. In the other story, a dead jinn in Cairo, the so-called, because they call themselves, angels show up. That's a lot more dubious, given what uh, how angels are interpreted and understood, especially under Christianity, uh, though not exclusively. But <laughs> Thank you. No, of course. Uh, I kept that in <laughs> mind, but uh, I, I uh, <laughs> personally and directly, I can only go so far. But... Um, but that's a lot more dubious for a lot of different reasons. With Jen, that question of, oh, are they really Jen? Uh, the way we understand them, given that they're more separate and necessarily connected to a wider or more, well, omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent divine entity that doesn't necessarily show up as much as with an angel. But with, uh, so with Jen, to repeat myself, there are enough Jen to be Jen in them yeah so yeah a bit of both i think like and that that shows up in a few different ways when we talk about the other creature sorry go on <laughs> no, no 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 don't worry about it um i feel it's also worth mentioning uh, if it's okay i would like to talk a bit about like how much of the setting is uh corresponding with the quote-unquote real world real history of course um, or with our history our world and mm-hmm. um i do find it interesting that despite the emergence of these spirits, uh, religion is still in, in, in intact. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> there, there are Muslims, there are Christians, there are so forth and so on. And uh, which is 
you know, I'm fine with it. I find it interesting. There's even this fun passage about um, this guy. Once again, you can, I don't know if you should believe him or not, but there's this guy who talks about like encountering uh, spirits and saying like, I am a follower of Allah and you cannot hurt me. <laughs> it's just, okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and not, not talking about uh, like, you know, like a Muslims or Islam or whatever, like saying it should be diminished because there are, or Christianity or Judaism or any Abrahamic faith. But mm -hmm. being diminished because they are spirits or whatever, not saying that it should be. But I do feel like, how? What would the response be of the semi, uh, the the structure, the structured Christian faiths, and like what would be? I would love to read rabbinical thought on spirits. That's what, that's what I'm trying to get at. And the official <laughs> responses, you mean? Well, well, once again, for Christianity, especially for Catholics, there are official responses for. You know, yeah. for like for Judaism, for instance, there won't be an official response because there's a monolithical structure to Judaism, and yeah. it's and because of that, I would love to see like Jewish infighting about <laughs> like what is what does this mean? Like the rabbis having to come together and like, huh, I don't know about this, and like how would progressive Judaism uh, uh, approaches, how would Hasidic Judaism uh, approach it, and so forth and so on. Uh, that's I could read a whole novel <laughs> about that, but I understand that that would be a whole oh, yeah. uh, whole thing. <laughs> That's a whole um, thing I, all on its own. Right? So, but th I do like that that's, that they just seem intact. They seem just the same. Um, the spirits then... Uh, it's worth mentioning, by the way, real quick, that the writer is an historian and a yeah. professor at Fakatwish University. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> it doesn't matter. But then you press at a university, so, you know, so, uh, having having the resources for looking up certain things, that's always nice, I suppose. Yeah. And, yeah. And anyway, I do appreciate uh, reading this book. Uh, just real quick, I do feel that the writer um, respects and knows the culture he's talking about. Because he's yes. not an Egyptian man, as far as I'm aware. No, uh, he might have he's married, might have been married into an Egyptian family or something like that, or have a lot of Egyptian friends or like Arabic friends or people from the what we call the Middle East. I don't like that term because once again, it's technically mm -hmm. colonial esque term. Oh, deeply colonial, right? <laughs> It is, um, yeah. Anyway, it is. Ge it's it's named after its geographical positions from the West, Western perspective, which is you know not. Uh, and I have heard some terms floating around on how to call that part of the world, but I no. Well, anyway, if any listener has uh, an, a better idea, like some resources that about contemporary uh, discussions regarding that, I would love to be feel free to share them. Um, yeah. Once again, I've, I've heard multiple terms floating around, so I don't want to use one over the mm. other because uh, should have looked it up beforehand. I'm pretty sorry, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Only realized that now, stupid me, but it's fine. It, um, it happens, you're fine. <laughs> right, but anyway, so uh, I do like the diligence on display by the writer because I don't feel... Yeah. I, I don't feel like it's, it, it fits into any negative orientalist stereotypes. No, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't think so. And yeah, no, it, and it is a very important... I think if you do your research and you and your disposition towards the work is written and uh, depicted in such a way that it is not Orientalist, I'm totally fine with people from different places writing about other places they're not from. But you yeah. do have to do legwork. And I do feel uh, everything in the, that is depicted in this world feels like uh, the writer has done the legwork to uh, responsibly, uh, fictitiously create this world. Yeah, and I appreciate that. I think a lot of writers can learn a thing or two from Mister uh, uh, Alias uh, B. J. Clark. 
Indeed. Sorry for that. <laughs> no, 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 you're fine. I, I like it's, it. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Like, there's definitely a really big sense of, like, what is trying to be done here is being done very carefully and really minutiously, I think. In regards to that, like, uh, that faith response, it instead of seeing these... I say official, because, of course, with, with Catholicism, you have the official trademark um, with uh, the, the Vatican and the Pope. But uh, as you well know, and, and uh, other, our listeners probably as well, uh, there's still be a lot of Catholic infighting about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, which is good, actually. It's good. Um, it doesn't <laughs> have to a be a thing. bad thing. <laughs> oh, not at all. That's Again, um, one thing I always say uh, whenever I, I argue with, about this or think about these things, even with somewhat more religious family, I make a point of saying, like, if uh, if God gave us rationality and reason and the ability to, you know, be critical and have, and you know, the ability to critique, then by all means, we, we should, uh, yeah. as uh, a part of our uh, measure and instrument of our own faith and not, not purely against it. These things are not antithetical. That's what I'm trying to say. But... Um, <laughs> The the point is that instead of seeing you know like religious leaders or, or these positions, we see uh, the 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 practitioners. We see the people or reference to the people who have either maintained their faith in Abrahamic religions, or we we get reference to uh, several people you know turning to Egypt's older religions or older yes. religion and older faith. And um, yeah, it's like. A lot, the, the definitely in, in terms of like people as a, a thing, uh, extremely, you know, a lot of people. Uh, yeah, there'd be people who would maintain that people who would break uh, away from any type of faith. And there would be others who, you know, turn into other types of faith that somewhat more esoteric and for our times at least. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's also a different kind of focus and what's like, yeah, no, this is what people would do. And I feel like if the characters aren't always, you know, forthcoming about that and somewhat derogatory here and there, the narration and the world building and uh, their portrayal isn't. Yeah, it's very interesting that they, it's a very respectful approach, but it is not fetishization. It is not yes. elevating these people beyond, like it's not making them perfect or anything, it's making them people. And that's yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, are these people because they're doing that correct? No, are they wrong? No, are they better than colonialists? Yes, but a lot of people. Oh, are definitely, o- always, <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> always. <laughs> but it doesn't make them perfect, and that, I think that's a yes. trap a lot of people fall for, both mm-hmm. in fiction and in you know normal political rhetoric, like this moralist approach to like talking about politics and stuff. And I, I feel that as well intentioned as it can be. It can lead to um, how do we say this politely? Oh, like overly f- uh, virtuizing, like um, making yeah. it overly virtuous of certain things, and that that kind of denies, inadvertently denies them their personhood. Oh, and yeah, yeah I, I I feel that's that's like uh, because there are people who, from a well-meaning place, I think, or at least with a set of morals and ethics that I on paper would support would then mm-hmm. automatically condemn this book because it's written by an American. And yeah. an, an Afro-American, one should say, I suppose, mm-hmm. uh, for those who 
care about that. But it's still, it would say like, oh, well, that's not your culture. Why would you write about that? That that's you know that's fetishism, that's orientalism, and that's like, well, that's not, well, that's not what those <laughs> things are. And it, you know, I understand where you're coming from when you say that. I understand that frustration. And I understand that anger. I, who more than I would like, admittedly. But <laughs> <laughs> that being said, it's it's just I feel we are going the wrong way with that, and I'm purposely avoiding uh, certain language that are often used in these type of discussions because I think right. those don't aid the discussion either. Um, yeah. But yeah, it it is this um, overly. Uh, this is not the, once again. This is not the right word, but it's over moralizing of things, and this yeah. can once again inadvertently, um, because then I think this work is good, and we would have been we would live in a world where we are one good work poor. I don't know. That's <laughs> that's one should not reduce it all this very complex problem to basic arithmetic, but yeah. I do feel like it's that's an indication of that this um, hyper-diminishing of attempts at creating art, creating media, creating literature would lead to if, if this type of moralizing would just to go, uh, would just be the norm. And, you know, I think that's important to point out. I don't know. <laughs> that makes sense to me. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's like the, that kind of thing, like this uh, excessive virtualization or fetishization of a particular behavior or a particular posture is also a dehumanizing action in yes. and in comparison that becomes worse because you know if the person who belongs to that group or that nationality or that culture does not correspond exactly to that because you know they're a human being and uh, you know people are different there's like, oh, but you're not fully that or not totally that, so you can't do X or Y or you can't be Z or W. So it's a, it's another it's another form of discrimination that goes in a different direction, but it's yeah. it doesn't cease to be that. And in that sense, like the the very very portrayal we get in the book is uh is aware of that. It's aware of like you know people are different and people react differently and people would react differently in face of such different events of, of such change and of such different scenarios definitely i find it interesting then that um cairo has i would like to talk about that real quick if, if that's of course cool you, about of course. this um about cairo joining the ranks of superpowers and yeah. i'm happy that that there's this element of that in there because i was afraid that it was so with alt history fantasy that is because um, it's not just alt history in the sense of historical fiction, but as you as you might have gathered by the talking about uh, supernatural elements into this book, <laughs> it's alt history fantasy, and it's once again. So this, would you classify this as speculative fiction? Is this yes, yes, right? Okay, uh, same. I um, a very brief parenthesis about it. Uh, speculative fiction is a interesting umbrella term. The, right. the way I've seen it as a definition. <laughs> I I am fine with it, but like I generally am, I I'd rather use fantasy, sci-fi, and other stuff. Like it's useful, but I think it's way too broad. Because yes. uh, if you really want to dig in with the definition, anything can be speculative fiction. Anything can be yes. speculative because of what speculative means. So I don't I don't have a bone to pick with it. I just think it's um, I might. It's not but as that's useful. Not that... Well, maybe I do too, but a discussion for another day. <laughs> yes, definitely. 
So the, the I do feel I'm personally I'm not interested in historical fiction. And right, me me either. <laughs> right. I feel like if you're going to do historical fiction, you might as well do fantasy. And alternate <laughs> history is of is up to a point historical fiction because once again, if you're doing historical fiction, you're gonna you know you are you know doing the fiction part, which makes the history alternate, so to speak, sort of kind. Oh yeah. <laughs> but this is not necessarily how those terms are often uh, always utilized. Or just the only way to utilize them, I would say, I should say. Yeah. But it is it is then interesting that this idea of okay, so let me just say this: if you're going to do alternate history fantasy, the only, the way to get me even more interested in that is decolonial uh, alternate <laughs> history fantasy, because once again, I do feel there's worth to, uh, there were things worth exploring there. Um, think of Afropunk, for instance, or like mm-hmm. other stuff like that. And I do like the question of. <laughs> I generally just like the question of what if in general, and yeah. but especially not just what if, but what could be, and the decolonial what could be is, oh, that's quite something. And I f- find it interesting that then it only goes for um, Egypt, Cairo. Mm-hmm. And it it is mentioned as in uh, like the three powers are then still London, Paris, and Cairo. Yeah, and you know, accurate ish sorta. And it is. Um, <laughs> I wonder what this, <laughs> is. Is there, is there going to be a Soviet revolution soon? Or I wonder if that's the case. But, I, I uh, think so because uh, we <laughs> we get reference, and I think this is so we get mention of uh, <laughs> speaking of the possibility of a <laughs> a Soviet revolution. We get reference that apparently in Sudan, I believe it's not entirely clear, but it it, it seems to be there was a, there is now the Mahdist Revolutionary People's Republic, huh. which uh, as uh, as the the characters and the, the representative goes on to say, they feel extremely Marxist <laughs> in a yeah. very good way. There is something about a revolutionary republic that doesn't really deny. <laughs> Any other interpretation or casual interpretation of that? Yeah, and and they go go, go into it uh, again. This is one of the things that impressed me the most about this novel is how like we're getting this discussion because um, uh, this representative she is familiar with a particular use of magical powers that may allow communication with the jinn that would be haunting or the creature that would be haunting the tram car. Because after all, it's about. Two ministry agents trying to investigate the haunting of a tram car. Uh, yes. <laughs> that's what the, the story is about. And, you know, they're, they're going to ask her the for help. The in the title. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Because um, she's been recommended by a friend and so on. And they start having this discussion about why she could help and should help. And uh, start getting into this conversation about... Because... Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, I, I need to get into this very briefly. Cause, no, um, totally. There are machines in in this book, and uh, they are. Don't the, get that deep into it, but it might be. Uh, it's not that clear, but they might be artificial intelligence. But at the very least, there are robots, robots quite aptly named uh, boilerplate Unix, which is a hell of a turn of phrase, because you know <laughs> yes. boilerplate and robotic and Unix. Well, yeah, um, and. Uh, <laughs> And the, there's this discussion about, like, well, the Mahdist uh, Revolutionary People's Republic is, you know, 
obviously anti-colonial, anti-slavery, and it is against the slavery of boilerplate eunuchs as well, and these kinds of artificial intelligences. Yes. And as such, they are reluctant to help them perpetuate the slavery of this tram car, which, via Ginny design, is still a weird kind of semi-sentient life form, maybe? Robotic, yes. as it may be? Something like that? It's a it does beg into question. Yeah. And uh, th- their defense is like, no, but we're not going to help to perpetuate this. But then one of the agents, uh, Agent Onsi, quite cleverly goes on to say, well, if even if it is uh, a sort of intelligence and that it won't be, uh, if it's it, whether they want to or not uh, cease its state of obedience or slavery, if you could alleviate its pain by being haunting, wouldn't that be a positive or moral or a radical action of you to help support it even within its own struggle or not? Yes. And, uh, you know, they're convinced. So, but, but I'm mentioning all this because we get a quite extensive discussion of intelligence, of conscience, of freedom, of, uh, you know, radicalism revolution and about possibility of like machines that, you know, because uh, uh, there is one boilerplate eunuch who is free and uh, is there of their own volition. And they mentioned that they've spoken with others and other intelligences, and some of them don't mind what they do. They don't necessarily want uh, freedom in that sense or that possibility of liberty or independence, but some do. And, you know, how do you navigate that or don't? And uh, no, this is all just a conversation. But it it is both apt. It's not shoehorned in. It's not like a vehicle for the author or just a character to voice their beliefs. It is, but in an argument and uh, an argument that they impose positively. Though I, th- I think they should have, and they do, um, which is the representative of the People's Republic. But it all, I was quite impressed about that discussion. It's like just this scene is like wow, huh. It's uh, yes. we're we're really getting into the ethical discussions of uh, you know slavery, exploitation, machine consciousness in a very brief series of interactions. Yeah, definitely no, but it's also in this the conversation of Ansi is he references um, religious scholarly texts. Yes, and I do love the minor note because in this now hyper modern Cairo, and with the emergence of the supernatural, and with the angels as well being apparently part of it in another book, also an emergence of what would previously be considered the divine. It is then, it is is then still nice to see that every that religious wisdom is not wholesomely is not whole cloth rejected, and yeah, I do think that that's that's good, <laughs> um, because once again religion is often and once again there there there's there's a nuanced historical debate to be had about this, political historical debate to be had about this, I think, because religion as an institution has been an enemy of progress, being that intellectual, being that social, and those two go hand in hand, by the way, not necessarily, there's a Venn (laughs) diagram there, by the way, but uh, that being said, other than that, um, I do feel that this antagonistic perspective of religion is not exclusive to Christianity, but from a Western media and literature perspective, is very Christian. That's what I'm trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Like this, and I understand that with a lot of fiction being written by Americans and having, once again, the religious order there is interesting and understand mm-hmm. the more antagonistic disposition about that. But then you have to understand that that's just not the only institution 
are the only uh, element of religion. Yeah. If when you're talking about religion, you're talking about, well, you're talking about the world essentially at this point. And <laughs> you know, and it is a bit. Um, even though I understand the initial this, uh, the initial displeasure towards your conceptualization of religion, not yours, Frank, but like people who oh, yeah. do that, mm-hmm. their antagonistic relationship towards religion, especially that type of religion or that element of religion. Uh, I do think it is, especially when we talk about Cairo and that part of the world, like Cairo and Baghdad were both such interesting religiously scholarly centers of the world yes. at that time. And once again, I find the golden age of Islam, uh, Islamic scholars, fascinating beyond belief. Yeah. And it's, it's I don't know, I do like that that's then, um, it's a minor thing, once again. <laughs> Sorry to harp <laughs> on a lot about a minor thing, but it, it is a thing that bothers me a lot of uh, sci-fi and fantasy. About how yeah. religion is often then, and as <laughs> coming from people who have been, you know, um, <laughs> haunted by certain religious groups uh, <laughs> in different parts of the world, I once again, I don't you don't quote to me about <laughs> a religion being bad. I know, I know the history of my people, but <laughs> it's um, other than that, it is. Uh, then I still, even then, still, I, I would say that we should not be, you know diminish once again diminish rich and whole cloth and i'm happy that that this sense of social and political progress that is present in cairo because of its decolonization mm-hmm. is then not that doesn't go hand in hand with abandonment of religion yes because i think that would be a false narrative yeah exactly like a lot of of uh, western fiction like that tends to when dealing with religion like that tends to represent it as a uh, you know, uh, only negative religiosity in that regard that is extreme, that is violent, and there isn't any attempt, and even faith to that regard, not just religion as institution, but as, uh, you know, practicing your faith, and not allow it a, you know, any expression of positive religiosity, which can, it can be institution, but can especially be individual in, in expressions of faith. Uh, yes. That, that that disposition is rarely ever allowed. And in this regard, it's like you see a lot of different people, a lot of different faiths, and, you know, they, they're they navigating these different, interesting, internal theological dis- debates and discussions in a fascinating way. And none of them seek to supplant the others, like, oh, you're wrong for believing or you're wrong for believing this or that. It's like there's a space for difference and a space for dialogue there. And that is wonderful and really interesting. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, if I may quote a uh, a very brief or two brief paragraphs um, yes. about it. it's One is the uh, boilerplate eunuch itself, uh, Fahima, who is a liberated machine speaking uh, about this, um, well, maybe limited somewhat desire for pure independence and freedom. She says, or they say, or it says, I'm not entirely sure. Only a few of my kind share the innate spark to become more. Perhaps it was our particular design, or some science we do not yet understand. Most are content with their work, and when pressed, want little more than perhaps a day to themselves, or two. And then Onsi, in uh, his very interesting argument, goes, I don't know that this changes anything. Whether thinking machines can be enslaved or not makes for fascinating discourse. However, this seems a poor reason to allow Tram 15 to languish in misery. You would no more be abiding in its enslavement by curing its affliction than you would in healing an exploited laborer. The state of the distress doesn't negate your ethical obligation. 
Yes. Which is a whole discussion that does not seek to like, oh no, you're wrong, or oh, you're being idealistic. It's like, well, here's our here's what we're faced. Here's the very concrete material dimensions of it. Um Onsi's being a reasonably materialist here. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe Volker materialistically, but that's doesn't well, yeah, not dialectically mean... materialist. Not let's not go that far yet, but materialist. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, but it is um, that is interesting, and I think this is and it's a good quote. Thank you so much for picking that out because this it, it illustrates how what we have been harping on about <laughs> since we started, since I came on this podcast and we started our podcast together. Um, <laughs> how how to utilize fiction in a way to um, as a vehicle for imagination, and this once again is like a great example of that. I think, like the writer did purposefully, like try to illustrate certain problems and certain elements of discourse through uh, an AI slash gin ghost whatever. You know, so I do I do love that. At least maybe you feel different. I don't know. I I do. Uh, I think it's a good example. Do I agree? I think it's excellent, and it's just such a, you know, it, it really brings a big question. It's like. Well, what if other, you know, AIs or stuff or, or machines would, how would they behave? Would they want this or that? It's like, no, yeah, maybe some would, maybe not. Maybe they're different and, you know, a whole other bunch of things. And, uh, you know, again, very brief series of interactions. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a, a dimension of that, you know, trying to handle these subjects and these characters and these situations with a certain degree of sincerity and not, again, not trying to provide any sort of like solution or like a final answer to any one of these questions, but like trying to pose them differently or pose them widespread or deal with different situations. Um, the, the, the book and the characters aren't trying to answer these questions. They're dealing with their situations, their present and their understanding. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it may be a... Uh, <laughs> It may be Onzi's good persuasion check, but uh, it's still significant. Yeah, definitely. I find it interesting that it's also worth mentioning, maybe real quick. It's mm-hmm. also like a link back to um, like Jins getting a place in society. Uh, yeah. Jins do have formed a union. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and you know I I do like that. Um, I did did may motivate me to just keep on reading the book because it's like oh union cool like at least. The, the writer and then understands the circle use and the contemporary utilization of unions and so forth and so on. And <laughs> yes. that and that's always nice to hear because once again, if they have a specific set of services and they, and they, and then they have a, um, a considerable amount of intelligence that is not intelligence as in necessarily just simply smart, but intelligence of how humans function and operate. I do love that they manifest that in a way of a union. And I don't know. That's uh, l- let me just say that if Jins uh, get uh, are smart enough to get a union, then you should join your union. That's good. But exactly, uh, <laughs> well, it's like Jins recognize how useful and important unions can be. Thus, they unionized. Yeah, and yeah, I don't know. That's um, I did like that a little bit. So just... no, that's great. I had forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah, it's um, and I do think just as as a side note, like I do really like. Um, this type of mythology, because once again we talked a lot about mythology, and I know a lot about Norse and Greek <laughs> mythology, a little yeah. bit about old Egyptian mythology, but mm. then this Arabic um, type of mythology is is also very interesting, and I think has been has been explored a little bit throughout fiction, 
Yeah. But I do feel we haven't had a big break yet. Like once again, we have we had a hundred thousand Christian slash medieval mytholo- mythological uh, books by now. I do feel that uh, <laughs> by rights, uh, once again, by how interesting this Arabic mythology is, or like Indian mythology, or like you know, there's no such thing as Indian mythology, like Hindu, Punjab, stuff like this. Yeah. But um, there's there's like different mythologies within the within the uh, within the borders of the current nation of India. That's what I'm trying to get at. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I, I do feel, and maybe it's out there, maybe. But I feel like, given the amount of these people with those origins living in the Western Hemisphere, I do feel they should get more of a uh, uh, a podium. How do you say this? Um, a stage, a um, a plateau to present uh, their fiction and fantasy on. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Is there anything else you would like to? Uh, mm, I think we've radical, touched on the radical feminists, maybe. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. That's that's uh, that's the other point. <laughs> so. One other thing that's also happening, because everything's happening all at once, uh, is the 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 Egyptian and uh, yeah yeah Egyptian, not just Skyrene, but Egyptian suffragette movement, uh, yes. and um, the the current vote to to allow women voting is uh, being decided as we are going through the narrative, which uh, adds a great deal of um, well a great deal of urgency to it, and it's like. How is this going to go and how is this going to happen? Is this not? And also one of the things that I, I find it interesting is the um, <laughs> the book throws some shade at the, or at least the, the main character, throws some shade at like uh, the, the European um, suffragette yeah. counterparts uh, to the Egyptian ones, saying that the latter had a lot more preeminence and were a lot more bold and intense in, in their actions. And I was like, and in one regard, it's interesting because we, you know, especially living in, in the West, we, we are privy to the narratives that, you know, center these uh, these nations. It centers the English suffragettes or the American suffragettes. And, uh, you know, these are, these are the most significant. These are the more important ones. And, you know, leaving out a great deal of the rest of the world um, and how their movements and their own struggles went, which were also quite different given... You know, a uh, big place <laughs> and uh, patriarchy is everywhere. And it's uh, it's interesting to see it's like it's a movement from a, a different place, a different background, different cultures and how that is taking center stage here. And it's like this in, in uh, I think given this alternate history, this is the important and the most important right now suffragette movement. And uh yeah that's that's significant yeah it is it is important simply by the virtue of being new in that yeah. world as in the new power that just emerged is always the more interesting one i suppose <laughs> simply by the virtue of being new yeah or the denotation of being new not necessarily virtue but um yeah, yeah anyway i do i would love uh i'm definitely interested in exploring more of this universe so to speak another book sometime i uh yeah but I do hope that maybe we could see more once again. Uh, once again, not to be typically Leon or anything, but I would <laughs> love to see a more geopolitical take on this new emergence of Cairo. Because oh yes, definitely. Uh, yeah, I would. I would love to because there's a reference to uh, Oxford having also a um, new uh, 
and alchemy departments and like study of spirits and good stuff and yeah so forth and so on and Ansi goes to oxford even and it's like there's something interesting there about the writer understands that despite the process of decolonialization it, it doesn't automatically end all the effects of colonization Yes. Just because there's this political decolonization doesn't mean that social and cultural colonization um, automatically stop in their tracks. This once again, everything is a process. History has to happen, will happen, and continues to happen. <laughs> and um, <laughs> not to keep on saying this, but it's so important. And it's, it's once again, yeah. And so it's a process placed on the tracks of history. And and I don't know. It is this. Uh, it's this interesting lingering of Ansi being sent to Oxford as maybe a remnant, a remnant of, of of colonial thinking or yeah. ex-colonial thinking or I don't know what the right term would be but not as a condemnation of character that is Ansi or necessarily his parents the yeah. writer approaches it from a relatively nuanced and non-condescending yeah. uh, perspective I think that's good yeah, it's like a phenomenic approach of like, oh, this is something that is still happening and not necessarily yes. to anyone's individual fault in the matter. But like, yeah, um, the the other, uh, the actual main character who we follow most of the time, and it's like the, the third person narrator that we, we have is uh, Agent Hamid. And he, he mentions it's like, oh, uh, he doesn't say it, but I think he thinks about it in some way. That's like, which uh, he went to Oxford, which, really shouldn't happen or really isn't necessary anymore given that you know of, of egyptian universities are probably a lot better than oxford right now so something along those lines that's like this isn't this doesn't portray this portrays a remnant this portrays something that can and should be overcome but not necessarily to onzi's own fault or their parents or anything of the sort definitely i would like to say just one more thing that's a, of course it's a minor thing and uh, <laughs> I do really like the... Uh, so, um, I guess this is the closest thing we're going to give to a very direct spoiler. Um, <laughs> as we approach the end, I feel comfortable putting it here. So, yeah. you know, uh, it's not going to be... An you can hear the spoiler and you can still read the book beginning to end, don't worry. But um, one of the more challenging uh, ghosts, entities, and supernatural creatures um, <laughs> finds <laughs> its way into Cairo through... <laughs> through through an international candy smuggling ring. Um, yeah. it's, it's, so that's interesting, right? Because it's... Okay, so it, it illustrates two things. There's the the culture being in the room when you write type of uh, approach to this. Namely that you don't want to... You don't want to accuse them of a culture that is not your own and a city that's not your own necessarily. As far as I'm aware, I don't know. Mm -hmm. That is not directly your own. Uh, you don't want to accuse them of like... Like smuggling, uh, like you know, something really atrocious, or being part of certain uh, international, which is difficult because <laughs> Egypt has the Suez Canal, which is like you know one of the life veins of international trade. But there's something here. <laughs> um, but, but other than that, it is it's interesting to see this this choice for candy. So you don't because <laughs> it's relatively innocent, right? So yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> it's um, and it, this this evil, uh, more evil spirit finds his way into Cairo thanks to a person <laughs> smuggling in illegal candy to not pay taxes or something. It's like, yeah. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> um, which is relatively innocent, by the way. And then there's the other uh, approach to this, that 
all products in all international capital trade is never fully innocent, even as childish and fun as candy, so to speak. Because if you say candy, it, it summons a certain perspective, right? Certain yeah. image and so forth. And I do find it really interesting that, uh, well, once again, once you place it in the international system of operations of capital, it, it, nothing is cute or <laughs> innocent anymore. It is, it is product. It is made. It is, it is, and it is a product of labor. And this already, this always removes this notion of innocence automatically, <laughs> because once again, no matter what it is, it is placed into system, which makes it just another product. Yeah. And uh, well, anyway. But I do feel that like candy was maybe the right choice instead of like something more serious, um, ominous. Yeah, like something more, uh, you know, like criminal. Yeah, and like candy is relatively innocent, I suppose, in that <laughs> regard. So yeah. yeah, I thought that was a fun note. No, for sure, for sure. I um I think as like uh if uh, as a final point, unless there's anything else you want to say. No, no, no. It's something interesting. Again, I think. One of the key points, yes, I think there is a solid story and a solid narrative there about the investigation, the haunting, and so on. But it it feels a lot more impactful on account of its world building and its setup. And, you know, world building is a whole separate podcast thing, which we probably will do a few podcasts at one point. (laughs) But until then, uh, we focus a lot more on these interesting aspects of, you know, portraying representation, fiction, alternate history, and, and so on. And, but what I want to sort of wrap it up with is, well, as I mentioned, I, there are four different stories right now. There's the novel itself, Master of Chin, uh, which is like after all these previous novella and short stories, which are Haunting of Tramcar 15, uh, A Dead Jin in Cairo, and The Angel of Khan El Khalili. Um, I think that's correct. Uh, the, the name. Um, or Kanal <laughs> Khalil. I don't know. Oh, God damn it. And I've already said multiple times during the episode. It's fine. I feel like it doesn't <laughs> matter that much anymore, unfortunately. I mean, I can check quickly. But, Pay because uh, I... No, it's already here. Uh, it's uh, Yeah, it's Kanal Khalili. I was correct. So this is all staying in. None of this is getting cut. Um, <laughs> vindication. Um, the story, this short story, by the way, you can read it on tour.com. I will have the link in the show notes. It's quite fun. And it's a lot more separate from the uh, the other two. The other two are, well, the Adegion in Cairo is very lightly referenced in a, a The Haunting of Tramcar 15. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're good. Uh, but they're separate stories. But it's interesting. The, the point I want to make is that all these three different stories can be read separately. They all introduce the world uh, as if it's your first time. And in a way that feels very subtle and very good. So like for me, I, I read Haunted Trank of 15, then read the other two. And in neither of them, I was like dissatisfied. like, oh, this again, or explaining this again. It's like in a tiresome way, like, yeah, you need to introduce this again. But it's very, like, it's what's important for the world that we're portraying in this story and in this narrative. So like the djinn themselves or the ministry itself, aren't as important in A Dead Jin in Cairo or The Angel of Kanel Khalili as The Haunting of Trent Car 15, where this the investigation process takes a lot more time and so on, where in the other stories they function differently and although present in different ways. 
So I, I, I just kind of guess wanted to praise, wanted to mention like how even when telling different stories in one world or even if they're connected or are referenced, how do you present that world to a reader? How do you introduce that? And I think uh, P. Jelly Clark does it quite impressively and quite well that in neither of the ways or neither of the stories feels tiresome or feels bothersome. It's like, oh, this again. Okay, introducing this again. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, there's the there's Al-Jahiz again and there's the, the thing. And it, it, it functions as if it's presented in a way that, I don't know, feels connected to the world and not like, oh, because I'm introducing this world, I need to bend it for the reader or, you know, if that makes any sense of what I'm saying, I'm, I think I'm half rambling. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> makes sense to me. Yeah, great. Happy to hear that. Um, that. That helps. But... Yeah, all in all to say is that all these stories, they feel they are connected and they feel connected, but they also exist on their own and are told to us as readers in a ways that are like, oh, this is what we're seeing. And what we're seeing and what we're being told is particular to what's important in that story. So like, yeah, sometimes it's a little bit more, sometimes it's a little bit less, but it doesn't feel excessive or lacking. It's like, oh, we should know about this, but why don't we know about this? Or like, oh, I didn't know, need to know about this. No, it's all quite purposeful um and maybe and not necessarily in an obvious way but like what is meaningful or what makes sense or what is working here in these different stories so yeah very very purposeful and well-made and well-written stories yeah to read them <laughs> <laughs> so i want to say read them uh, i haven't read the novel yet but i will so yeah, be on, be on the lookout for me talking about that, at least on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But yeah, um, uh, anything else? Any final notes before I uh, wrap up the, nope. the technical? Okay. Nope, I think uh, we said everything. No, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think we said what we wanted to say and went pretty well. Yeah. But yeah, no, I uh, just want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you for being here. Uh, if you can, you can find us both on Twitter at leftpagepod. Where we, where I, I share our episode stuff, our other uh, podcast episodes from friends, and things that are interesting, talking and thinking about, and uh, you know all that jazz. And you, if you can, but by all means, only if you can. If you, if you can't, that's perfectly fine. Uh, support us on Patreon. You get access to early episodes, and you can find a lot of older content and writing stuff that I put out over the years. Since we are yes. approaching what, four years doing this now? Yeah. Yep. Good God. <laughs> wow. Uh, still still, still haven't uh, fully realized that. It's still scary. It's still wild. Anyway, yeah, no, if you can, do, do check us out there. There are a lot of things which are open to everyone, especially what uh, Leon wrote uh, last year about uh, Grand Theft Auto, which is a really good text, and I recommend you to read it if you're interested in, you know, other video game stuff and whatever. And, you know, there's other here be media stuff there, early access to it there. And yeah, I think that's it for the admin stuff. Forgotten it. Yes. Did I forget anything? Nope. Pretty sure that's everything. Very good. So yeah, uh, thanks again, Leon. Thanks for, for being here. And uh, thanks everyone. And I'll, we'll see you soon. See you soon. Mm-hmm.